How you guys doing? I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, it turned fall this week, which was exciting. Four people are happy about that. I like, I like the fall. I like the cooler weather. Um, probably maybe another week, and then you will see me in jeans and some type of hoodie for the next six months. And it will be incredible. I love it. That's, that's, my, that's my safety zone. That's my comfort zone. I love that. Um, I'm excited. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to still be in First Peter. Um, if it's your first time here, I, I love uh, that you're here with us today. Um, if you've been hanging out, you know, some other place for a couple weeks on vacation, trying to get the last summer, you know, in, and you've missed last week and this week, uh, I want to I wanna catch you up real fast, make sure you know what we're talking about. We're going to be in First Peter. We're going to stay in First Peter for the next uh, couple weeks probably. Uh, but we're having a conversation on hope and holiness. Peter writes this book, and the focal point uh, he starts with is hope, but he's driving hope into something very specific, and that is holiness. It's the holiness of God and the holiness that we are called to by God because God is so holy. And, and he, he starts the book off talking about hope, calling Christ the living hope. He, he moves on and says last week, you know, to, to prepare our minds for action when we're talking about living for God, when we're talking about living for the creator, our relationship with God, our faith in Christ, our calling, our purpose, um, all of these things. He says, you got to prepare your mind for battle. You got to prepare your mind for action uh, because the, the, the battle, the victory is going to be won here before it's one in your life. And he says, uh, the first thing you've got to do in your, ho- in your mind is to make sure you're placing not just your faith in Christ, but you're placing your hope on Christ as well. He continues this argument all the way down and he gets down to the, the bottom of chapter one. And he says, one of the reasons Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, was buried and resurrected was so that you could put your faith and your hope into Christ and into God and into the Father and into the specifically the grace that comes to Christ. And so the, the, the hope here uh, that he's focusing on so much is to lead you to this idea of holiness because Peter is dealing with something that, that we struggle with and Peter dealt with it his whole life. That's why I think God had Peter pen these words and not Paul and not somebody else. God is perfect in all the things that he does because Peter struggled with actually living his life in a holy way. And we talked last week and I want to remind everybody again, holiness is, is honestly not what most of us think holiness is. Holiness is not uh, uh, just a list of rules to follow or obey. Holiness is so far uh, greater than that. It's so, it's so uh, much more than that. And, and Peter knows this. And so as he's laying the groundwork to holiness, he wants to make sure that you understand there's hope uh, in this. There's hope in Christ because the hope is 
that you look into the holiness of God and know the promises of God and that if you hope in that, it's an expectant, it's a desire, and you look to that and know that because God is holy and because Christ died for me, there is a hope that I can leave completely behind my life of sin and emptiness and walk towards Christ, walk towards God, and become holy like God is holy. In holiness, there's joy, there's peace, there's power, there's purpose, there's calling, there's everything that life is supposed to be about. It's in the box of holiness. Holiness is something epic. And he starts off with hope first, because when you start on holiness, there's a bunch of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle to know what that fully means, and we struggle to even think, how could we ever live a life of holiness? And that's why he starts with hope, because you got to have hope that you can get there before you can even have the conversation of getting there. And Peter is an example of someone who was so far from holiness, but he went through this process and he found his way into it. And so as he moves into this, deeper into this conversation in 1 Peter, uh, I, I want to make sure that we understand this is continually a conversation on holiness and the hope that we can be holy because God is holy, that we can be holy because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And Peter wants to teach us this. And so this is, the, this is I want to read 1 Peter uh, 16 through 19 uh, really fast. And, and verse 16 is the ending of basically the message from last week. And it just says this, since it is written, be holy because I'm holy. So he drives through this hope on grace and he says, you need to strive to be holy in everything you do. And the reason you need to strive to be holy in everything you do, because God has said, we need to be holy because he's holy. We need to be holy. You need to be holy because I'm holy. This is what God has said to us. And so he's about to drop down into this other conversation. But before we can get there, we have to make sure that we understand when, when, when the Bible says that God is holy, we have to know what that really means. And if we can really get a glimpse of what it means that God is holy, then we can start to get a glimpse of what holiness it looks like, truly supposed to look like in our life. When we say God is holy, I need, I need, we need to understand holy literally means to be set apart to be distinct, to be different. That's what holiness in its, in its entirety, in its most simplest form, that's what it means, to be set apart, to be different. It's to be rare, it's to be valuable. The reality of holiness, the focus is not holiness in itself, the focus, the, the, the focus is what makes someone or something holy. What makes God holy? What makes God holy is that God is the creator of the universe. That God is the origin of all living things, that every living thing in the unseen and in the seen world exists only by the will and the power of God. What separates God from you and me and what separates God from every other thing in the universe is that God has a power that we cannot imagine. He has a knowledge and understanding uh, uh, and wisdom that we cannot even fathom. He is more beautiful. He is more majestic. He is more great. He is more good than we could ever imagine. That, that, that God is holy, and the reason he's holy, the reason he's so set apart, the reason he's so different is because of all of the attributes that make him God. He's creator. He's king. He's judge. He's perfect. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. He is the creator of the universe. He's 
He's the one uh, that, that put the cosmos together. He's the one that spoke into nothing and turned nothing into something. He's the one that formed the earth and that carved out the oceans and raised up the mountains and told valleys where to sink. He's God. He is creator. He has more uh, power and more everything that you can imagine. He has it and he has it in an abundance, in an, in an infinite amount. He's God. That's what makes him holy. That's what makes him set apart. That's what makes him different. He's perfect. The Bible says his throne is, uh, the foundations of his throne is righteousness and justice, uh, that, that, that the wisdom, the strength, the beauty, all of the words, he is God. And that's what makes him holy. He's God. And that's what makes him holy. That's what sets him apart. That's what makes him distinct. And so when, when, when he says you need to be holy because I'm holy, what he's, the, the first thing he's telling you to do, he's asking you to do is I am so dramatically different from this world and from what this world has become because of sin that you need to step outside of this world and be different from this world and head towards me and be holy like me. You need to be set apart from the world, from the corruption, from the destruction, from the chaos that sin causes, from the greed, from the murder, from the rape, from the corruptness, from all of the disgusting, evil, wicked things of this world, all of the things that we struggle with, the wickedness, the evil. Because you need to walk away from all that because all that is normal. That's what the world is. That's what the world's like. But I'm not like that. You need to be set apart from that, walk away from that, and come towards me. That's that's the call of God to his people. I'm holy and you need to be holy. And, and, and the thing about it is, is that it's not just be holy because I'm holy. He's trying to say, I'm trying to stop you from wasting your life and experiencing a severe, chaotic, destructive, sinful life and then go to hell after death finds you. God said, I I'm trying to save you. I want to save you. That's the whole thing. I'm pulling you to myself. And so when he, he says, be holy because I'm holy, then Peter piggybacks off this and he jumps into 17, 18, and 19. And I, and I want to read this because Peter's doing a, a teaching thing here. Peter's about to teach us with what, what I would call an assumption. He's teaching it like you already know it, knowing that you don't already know it. Does that make sense? Right, that, sometimes this offends us. Like when, when you're around somebody and, and, uh, and, and you know, I, I experience this a lot anytime I get in a conversation with what I would call a car guy and, uh, and I said, you know, I have a problem or something like this. And he goes, well, obviously, you know that uh, the transmission plug is pulled over here. And then he just looks at you. I'm like, oh yeah, definitely know that when I don't know that. And he knew that I didn't know that. That's kind of what Peter's doing. So he, he drops down from this holiness, this hope and holiness conversation, and he, and he says this, and I'm going to read this uh, from the ESV version this morning, 1 Peter 17, uh, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile or empty ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Okay. Now I'm going to go back through because there's a lot of words in there that, that I'm pretty confident we didn't get it. 
right? Did you get that 100%? Ready to write a book about it? There's a lot of words in there, and I want to make sure that we, we capture this because he's, he's saying something here. He's saying he's, the first thing, in, and if you call on God as Father. Some translations say, since you call on God as Father. doesn't matter which translation you have. It's the same point. If you call on God as Father, if you call him Father, you need to listen to the next part. And since you call on God as Father, then you need to listen to the next part. So he's saying to you, to a believer, to a follower of Christ, to someone who calls on God as Father, to someone who's living their life for God, so who's following Jesus, who believes that God is the creator, who believes that God holds him in our hands, who believes that there is a forever, who believes that there is an eternity, who believes that God of the Bible is God and creator, and you believe that you've been saved through Christ, and you call on him as Father, you view him as Father, and you live your life like that. He says, you need to understand something about God, that he's also your judge, and that he judges unbiasedly or impartially, according to the way that you live your life. But this is not just that he's watching and guilty, innocent, guilty, innocent. The judging here is connected to the call. So um, imagine that when you're living your life every day, when you wake up, that when you call on God as father and judge, when you're going through life and you're making decisions and you're praying about where to go and you have these desires of your heart that you're working through and you're, you know, picking what you want to do with your life and you're walking through relationships and dating and marriage and you're walking through family and kids and you're walking through careers and you're, you're walking through the financial aspects of life and you're walking through uh, just life. You're just doing life as you're walking through life and you're associating, bringing God into your life. You're calling on God as father you're praying, you're wanting things, you're desiring things, you're making decisions, you're doing life, and you're calling on God as Father, the judging part is connected to each time you come to God. Like every day you wake up uh, and, and you, you, you have a situation, you have something you're dealing with, and you kind of get God involved in prayer, or you kind of get God involved in thought, or you kind of get God involved by reading the word, you're addressing God and, and you're calling on him. Uh, is that, it's not like uh, he's just judging you through the course of your life, so be good. It's that he's, a, he's, he's viewing you and handling things according to each time you call upon him. Does that make sense? It's got to make sense, and I got to move fast. So the heart of this is, is he's saying, and he judges you impartially. He's just based off your work. But then, he, but then he, he says this thing, and this is the part where I'm gonna sum it all up in a sentence that will make sense in a minute. He says this thing, and this is the part where I think, I think that Peter's assuming that you know something that maybe you don't know. That Peter's assuming that I know something that, that maybe I don't know, at least the way that I need to know it. Because what he says is, because if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Uh, what it really says in the group is conduct yourselves uh, with a reverence, a fear, a reverence of God while you're strangers in this world, while you're living this life, knowing that heaven is real, while you're living this life and you're calling upon God as Father and, he, and he, he's, he's, he's interacting with you and you're interacting with God. And this is the part where he makes the assumption, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, and the real word is empty, ways inherited from your forefathers. He's saying that, that when you're calling on God as Father, when you're interacting with God, when you're walking through life, when you're making decisions, Peter is assuming, I need you to hear me, Peter is assuming that you know, that you truly know in the depths of your soul, in your heart, in your mind, in the entirety of your being, that as you go through and you live your life and you interact with God the Father and you follow Christ and you're doing your life, that you know that you have been redeemed or ransomed or purchased by the precious blood of Christ to save you from a life of futile or a life of emptiness that you were born into. 
So he's saying that as you go through life, he's assuming that you are no longer living the empty life because you know without a doubt that you were redeemed from that empty life in sin by the death of Jesus Christ, by the, blood, the precious blood of Christ. He's assuming that you know that in reality. And I don't think that we always know that in reality. I don't think there's two things that I don't think that we always know in reality, and these two things are big two things. The first one is I don't think that we really know how empty life is apart from Christ. And if you're unsure of how empty life is apart from Christ, then you need to take this week and you need to read through Ecclesiastes as many times as you can. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Now, if you don't know anything about Solomon, I'll give you a quick 10 seconds. Solomon is far cooler, better, stronger, wiser, richer, more fame, more whatever than you and I will ever be all put together. That he did more in a weekend than you will do in your entire life. That he had more wealth than all of us put together. Anything he 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 would put uh, uh, all like Jeff Bezos to shame with his amount of wealth that he had. That 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 he had so many uh, uh, opportunities to build and achieve and conquer that all the other nations around him they just paid homage to him and he didn't even ask. It's not like he marched an army and said, you pay me or we're gonna attack you. They just said, that dude's got something. I wanna be on his good side, so we'll just start paying taxes to him. That's real life. Now that's awesome, right? That's, I mean, that's a sense of power, let's be honest. He said he had hundreds of wives and a whole bunch more concubines. You need to Google that word to get what I'm saying to you. <laughs> it says that I looked at the world in every single pleasure possible, I took it, I did it, I wanted to see it. If I could drink it, I drunk it. If I could smoke it, I smoke it. If I could date it, I dated it. I built, I conquered, I achieved, I acquired. I did everything. Everything that we think life is about, he did it. And at the end of it, he said, it's nothingness. He said, apart from Christ, it's nothingness. He's doing you a favor because you still live deceived thinking you came into this world with nothing and no matter what you believe about God, everybody can agree you will leave this world with nothing. You came in naked, you will leave naked. You came in dirt poor, you'll leave dirt poor. You came in nobody knowing who you are, you will die. Nobody knowing who you are, really. Think about the greatest achievements in recent history. Most people can't even tell the last 10 presidents. Can you? Most people don't even know their great-grandmother's name. My point is this, no matter how cool you are, awesome you are, what you achieve, no one will care 10 minutes after you're gone. Your life apart from Christ is emptiness. Because no matter what you set to do, no matter what you accomplish or what you save or what you conquer, what you achieve, in reality, it's nothing. It's a game you, we created because of our sin and because of our, 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 our foolishness and our, our desires. We created a game called life and we figured out what a win was and we figured out what success was and now we're all playing it and we're trying to beat each other and none of it matters, and that's life. And Solomon says, the saddest thing I see is people striving their whole life, and no matter what they get, they're unsatisfied, and, no, and before they get it, they die, because death comes to all of us. And he says, in the end, the only thing that matters is God, eternity, and your relationship with God. So that's the empty life. I think that sometimes we, we still like wake up, and we're like, let's go out and get in our car and do our job, and." Get all the money so that we can, you know what the American dream is? Work as hard as you can so you can be lazy the last half of your life. Come on, can you say miserable, boring existence? 
I'm gonna work my whole life so that when I'm old and can't move, I can just sit. And that's what you work so hard for. That's what you strive for. That's what you go to college for. That's what you make investments for. That's what you sacrifice for. That's what we throw our families away for. That's what we do. We throw, that's what we do. We work hard so that we get to the end of it. We can just sit. That's the win. And we all agree that that's the win. And we all strive to do that. Are you seeing it yet? And he says, he goes, because apart from Christ, that, that's the best we can do because death is gonna find us. Eternity is what really matters. The other side of death is what really matters. And this life is connected to eternity. And that's what makes this life have purpose. That's what makes this life matter. That's what makes this life mean something. And so Peter's assuming, sarcastically, I think, that we know that when we don't really. And then he's assuming something even greater than this. He's assuming that you know how precious the blood of Christ really is. He's assuming that you know how rare, how valuable, how holy Jesus Christ really is. And therefore you know the cost of the cross. And what Peter's really saying is, is that because he's assuming you know these things, that you would never not you, not you, not me, that we would never waste the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt to save us from the empty life. We would never, ever, because we know how valuable Jesus is, how holy he is, and how holy the sacrifice really was, we would never call on God as Father and live the empty life Jesus died to save us from. Like we would never do that. We would never, we would never spend our life chasing the empty things, doing the empty things, because we, don't, we would never come. It's like, it's like if your grandfather worked his entire life, right? The American dream, worked the entire life, saved up 200 grand so that he could just sit and be when he's older. And then you get a very treatable cancer and the cost is $200,000, which you don't have, and the insurance won't cover it. And so your grandfather, being the loving, kind man that he is, he gives you the $200,000 to pay for the treatment so that you can live, forcing him to work for the rest of his life. And then after you get the money, you don't get the treatment, but then you go back to your grandfather and say, hey, I'm going to travel the world. Uh, where, where do you think I should go? And that, that's, that's what we do with the precious blood of Christ. Thanks for the sacrifice, God, but can you help me get that promotion? Can you help me? Can you help me get that Mercedes? Can you help me? Can you help me matter by being famous? Can you help me do this? Can you, Father, can you just, can you give me the house, God? Can you just give me the house in the neighborhood? If I don't get in the house in the neighborhood, my wife, <laughs> will you help me matter to the people that I don't even like? Father, will you let me be cool and accepted by this really awesome, amazing culture that we live in right now? No, Peter's saying you wouldn't do that because you know the empty life and you know what it costs. The reality is that we don't know what it costs. 
The reality is we don't know how holy Jesus really is. The reality is we don't know how precious the blood of Christ really is. And Peter knows that because Peter knows, Peter knows what it was to live his life following Christ, not knowing how holy and powerful and precious Christ really was. He's been there. He's walked through it. He's had multiple moments in his life where he realized no matter how good, powerful, amazing, awesome, and holy he thought Jesus was, there was another moment that revealed even greater. And, and the Lord brought one of these moments to my heart, and I started to study, and I was enamored with this. I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark 4. This is a moment in Peter's life when he realized just how holy God really was, just how holy Christ really was, and it, and it radically changed his life as well as the disciples' lives. This was a, 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 what they would call like a pivotal moment in the life of the disciples. This was in Mark 4, starting with verse 35. Uh, this is a very well-known story. It's, in, it's the one where Jesus calms the storm down. It's in three of the Gospels, and each Gospel uh, takes a little bit different perspective and a little bit different focus on a point. Uh, one focuses on faith and one focuses on their response. Mark seems to focus on Jesus in a very unique way. And I'm going to read this to you. Mark 4:35. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus is talking. He said to them, let's go across to the other side. Let us go across the other side and leaving the crowd they took, him with, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Now, I, I got to stop because that's weird. That's a weird thing to say. You, you don't ever, you don't, I've never picked up my kids and called my wife and said, hey, I just picked up Aubrey just as she was. You don't ever go out like on a double date with somebody and, and call them and call the babysitter and be like, yeah, I just picked up. Uh, uh, you know, Kevin and Sonia, I don't know who those people are. And we picked them up just as they were. Like, you don't do that. If, if you got in the car, if you were going to pick up a buddy, somebody was coming to pick me up and I got in the car and then he called somebody else and he was like, yeah, I just picked up Jordan just as he was. I would be like, can you pull over really fast? Because I feel like I'm about to get sacrificed. It's a weird thing to say. Unless Mark knows what you're about to read, he wants you to know up front, we put him in the boat just like he was. He was who he was on the shore. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. He didn't walk through a portal. Uh, he didn't find a magic tunic. That's ancient language for clothes. You know, he didn't, he didn't find the staff of Moses laying around somewhere buried. We, we put him on the boat just like he was. It's a weird thing to say, unless he wants you to know for a fact, we put him on the boat just like he was. He goes on and says, and there are other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So I, there's a couple things you got to hit right here. One, Jesus is asleep on a cushion while there's a storm and they all feel like they're about to drown. They all feel like they're about to die. And they don't, listen, this is super important. They come down, they're, they're about to die and their little souls are so offended that Jesus doesn't care that they're about to die. Before they try to save themselves, they come downstairs to wake up Jesus to be mad at him, tell them he's hurt their little feelings. 
And don't you care we're about to die? And they call him teacher. It's a big one. Like, teacher, don't you care we're about to die? You have to understand, they didn't come down to ask Jesus for help because they didn't think Jesus could help them. They walked down in the boat to wake him up because they were little offended hearts. And they were just wanting to whine on their way down to the depths. They, they, they weren't coming to say, hey, Jesus, we're in danger. Can you help us? We believe you're the answer. They were coming down to say, hey, we're about to die. You don't even care. Wake up, die with us. Jesus gets up. And one of the other, uh, <laughs> one of the other gospels is pretty apparent. He's annoyed with them <laughs> that they woke him up. I think that's funny to me. <laughs> Jesus looks, looks around, evaluates the situation. And then he rebukes the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So I want, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. They wake him up and then he rebukes the wind. Don't just read this like it's a fairy tale. He rebukes the wind. He yells at the wind to stop and it stops. He tells the ocean to stop and it stops. He commands nature and nature bows its knee to Jesus and obeys him. And then he says something, Jesus does in verse 40. This is the, the two focuses for me right now are 40 and 41. He says in 40, he said, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now there's some faith issues here, but that's a different message for a different day. What I want you to see in 40 is that Jesus says, why are you so afraid? That word afraid, that's like a secondary word for fear in the Greek. It's, it's delos. It's like, it's like if we were together and, and we were all gonna go get on a bus and go for a drive, but there was like a storm and a thunderstorm and a tornado warning. And I said, guys, I'm a little, I'm a little afraid. I'm scared that we could be in danger. So let's just wait the storm out. It's fear driven, it's cowardice, but it's not utterly terrified. It's a, it's a basic, strong fear. It's dulios. So he says, why are you so afraid? Don't you still have any faith? Right? And then I want you to see something else. But he calms the storm down. He tells the wind to stop and it stops. He tells the ocean to stop and it stops. He commands nature. Nature obeys. He takes away the thing that was causing them, this dulios, this being afraid, this secondary level of fear. And then the Bible says in verse 41, and they were filled with great terror and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I need you, I need you to hear what I'm saying to you. And that, in the Greek, I love this. It says filled with great fear, but in the Greek, the way it's written is they were uh, phobon, mega phobos. They were terrified with great terror. There is no way in the Greek to write fear more dramatic than the way that it's written right here. They were terrified with great terror. Now, they were afraid of the storm, but now they are terrified with great terror at the one who calmed the storm. And they asked this question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, they were terrified, and they should have been. This is why Mark wanted you to know he was the same bro on the boat that he was on the shore. Nothing happened 
Nothing changed. We put him on the boat just as he was. We put him on the boat just as he was. And we've been following him for a while now. And we've seen him do some stuff. And we, we, we know that he's a man of God. We know that he is a great teacher. And we know that he's got some serious knowledge and some authority on some levels. And we know that he's probably a prophet. And we know that, that God's used him to do some cool stuff. But we had no idea he could command nature to obey. We had no idea. They had no idea how holy Jesus really was. They followed Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. They, they followed Jesus, but they didn't really know who he was. They didn't really know the power that made him so holy. They didn't really know the knowledge. They didn't really know the depths of, of Christ. They didn't know. And they had been talking to him like he was a mere man. And now it's beyond obvious that he's not a mere man. They've been talking to him like he's just a teacher. They've been reacting to him for all that is holy. Peter was rebuking the man. He's, he's yelling at the guy who just yelled at nature and it listened. And they were terrified. They were terrified with great terror. They were filled because they started to realize in this moment, this was the first, one of the first moments for Peter when he started to realize this man is holy. This man is rare. He is valuable. He is different. He is distinct. He is set apart. He is something that, that I have never seen and never experienced. This man is no man at all. This man is God. And they were terrified. And, and this is the thing that I need you to understand. When you lack the true depth of understanding of how holy Jesus really is, you will by nature treat him as common when he is anything but common. When you don't really know who he is. When you just grew up in Sunday school and Jesus was just a little, uh, you know, stick figure dressed like a shepherd on a flannel board, or if you're not 50, a TV, and Jesus is just, you know, the, 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 the focus of, of the weekend experience that you grew up with. It was the thing that took place before the fried chicken. You know, that, that Jesus was just, he's just the one you, you lay me down to sleep at night and, and, and just the, into heaven one day and the, it's, it, the, the ticket out of hell. When Jesus is just common to you, you treat him common, but he's not common. And what this proves is that you can walk with Christ, believe in Christ to an extent Put your faith in Christ to an extent, but still waste your life living the empty life because you don't really know the depth of his power, his strength, and his holiness, his knowledge, and his authority. This is how you can be religious, go to church your whole life, and still live in sin and still waste your life. This is how Peter describes in another book that he wrote, how you can become so nearsighted, so focused on what's in front of you, because when you don't know how valuable and how holy Jesus is, well, then Pilates can be holy too. And your retirement account can be holy too. And there can be some other things that we can focus on. And there can be some other things that are really important too. When in reality, when you, if you knew the depth of Christ and you knew his power, his strength, his holiness, and you knew that that man who could command nature 
That man who was so perfect, so righteous, so holy, that man who was the king of heaven and earth, that man who was the creator of the universe, when you get a glimpse of how holy he is, you will start to truly understand how wicked and evil we are, and you will really start to understand how we don't even have the right to say his name, let alone live forever in his presence. And so when this man who does not need us, but wants us, comes to this earth and dies for our sins, then we really start to understand the cost of the cross and we will stop taking his mercy and his blood for granted. Because we think, and I'm just telling you, this is American Christianity, we still think on some level God's the creator, but I'm the center of the universe. God's the creator and he created this world just for me. I'm the hero of the story. When we read the Bible, I'm Moses and I'm Noah and I'm David and everybody else is Saul. Everybody else is Goliath and I'm just doing my thing. There's one story being written. It's being written by the hand of God and it's being written about Jesus Christ and you need to thank God you're even a part of the story. He's holy in a way that you can't imagine. And when you get a glimpse of it, when you get a glimpse of it, then, then what Peter's really saying in First Peter starts to make more sense. Because when it's not just the blood of Jesus, but it is the, the precious blood, the creator, he died for me. We, if we had a sense of that, we would never call on the Father while we are wasting the blood of his son to chase the worthless things of this world. If we, could, if we could get a sense of the holiness of God and the holiness of Christ and the value of the blood and the value, because then it would do this, you would understand how merciful he really is because you would get it. You would get, oh, he's that holy. I get it now. He doesn't need me, but he wants me for whatever reason. And it wasn't free. Like the cross isn't a fairy tale. No, that really happened. And the blood that rested on the ground that poured out of his head from the crown of thorns, that poured out of his hands from the nails, that poured out of his feet from the nails, that poured out of his side, when they gutted the son of the living God with a spear. When that blood that, that was slain, when, when it fell on the ground, you realize, you realize, oh, okay, he left his throne in heaven to die on a cross between two thieves for me. And then your stupid IRA and your investment account and your problems with your boss and your, the internet went out and I couldn't watch Netflix yesterday and all oh, Trump and Biden, which one's gonna save us? You know, all the things we care about all of a sudden just become exactly what they are, pointless, invaluable, temporary, nothingness. Because the point of what, what, what P, uh, Peter's trying to make to you is that, that God's proven 
how valuable you are to him by him laying down the most valuable thing in the universe for you. And that if, if you start to understand that, then you get that I, I am valuable to God and that he created me and saved me and that the life I'm supposed to live is far greater, far better, far more valuable than the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do with my life. And we would approach God with a greater sense of understanding and, and, and we would say, God, thank you that I'm alive, that you let me live, that you saved me. And God, I wanna live this life. Whatever you want from me, that's what I wanna give you. Whatever you want me to do with my life, that's what I wanna do. How, however you want marriage to be, that's what I want. Whatever you want family to be, that's what I want. Whatever you want my purpose to be, that's what I want. God, I get it. I, I'm, I'm starting to get it, that there's nothing for me in this world. There's nothing. It's emptiness on every level, especially compared to you. And so while I'm on the earth, while I'm here, I know my home's in heaven, but while I'm here, I wanna live my life holy and pleasing and righteous and with you and for you. And then we start calling on God like that. And it starts putting everything in perspective. And we start walking away from the emptiness and living what Christ said. He said it point blank. I came to give you life and give you life to the fullest. But we have to have a sense of his holiness in our life. We have to, to, to grapple with that reality. We have to, we have to get there. And, and I can't get you there. Nobody else can get you there. You've got to get there. You've, you've got to find your, yourself in a place with God. You've got, to, you've got to start praying, seeking, getting alone with God. You've got to start saying, God, show me your holiness. Reveal it to me. I want a moment like Peter had. I get it. I believe in you. My faith is in you. I know it, but God, I, I want to know the fullest extent. I want to know you, God. Why do you think Moses prayed the prayer, show me your glory? Show me your glory, God. Let me see it. Because the more that you are aware of the glory and the holiness of God, the more transformation that overtakes you. This is the hope. This is the hope. This is what he said. If you can put your hope in this God, this holy, perfect God, and, and, and you begin to see it, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. And so my, my prayer all week, my prayer all week, for this message was that, that somehow in this message that the Holy Spirit would take something that was said and begin to have a, a moment like this where we get filled with terror, not unhealthy terror, reverence, where we become so enamored, where we see the holiness of Jesus and we see who he really is. And then the love, the mercy, the goodness of God becomes so exaggerated in our life because now we get it and we'll change. And so that's my prayer that's gonna continue to be my prayer because I believe it could happen this morning, but I believe that this is not just one moment for Peter over and over and over again, all through his life. And this is the end of the message that part of our relationship with God is going to be us rediscovering how holy he really is. Because the more you think you know, he's even greater than that. 
And when you start to see more, there's even more to find on top of that. That's the depth of Christ. He's infinite, he's eternal. We'll never discover the depth of it through the course of this life, but that's the journey. <clears throat> Every ounce of our life is to discover truly how holy, truly how glorifying, truly how great, truly how amazing Christ is. And within that holiness, the discovery of that, we will become holy. And the Bible says in holiness, when we live in holiness, there's peace, there's joy, there's power, there's purpose, there's everything that life is supposed to be. And that's my prayer for you. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer for yourself, for your homes, for your families, and for this generation that we would have moments and seasons where we discover more and more the power and the holiness of God. Amen? Let's stand. Father God, I just come before you, Lord. Father, you are so holy and you are so worthy. I pray, Lord God, for my life. Father, for my family. Father, for this house. For every man, for every woman, every child. Father God, I pray, Lord, right here, right now, Father, that you would, if you've got to walk us through a storm so that we can see and get a glimpse of how powerful, how good, how holy you truly are, God, then bring on the storm. Father, that you would give us moments where we can discover how holy you truly are. I pray, Lord, that you will reign in our lives as king like you do in heaven. Father, let your will be done. In your holy name, amen.